If I could have you return to your seats. Just want to make sure you have the bulletin. We are in a series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, but before we read the scriptures, I want to tell just a quick story. It's not even that good. Wait, well, just listen to this story. Vagrius Ponticus was an Egyptian ascetic monk who lived and worked in the mid to late 4th century. And while living in isolation in the years 375, Ponticus compiled a list of eight evil thoughts from which all sinful behavior springs. This list was intended to help those in the church live godly lives. And the list he compiled was as follows. Gluttony, lust, greed, sadness, ascetia, anger, vainglory, and pride. Now, Ponticus's teachings on these eight evil thoughts were so helpful to the church that they continued to have a deep impact from generation to generation. Case in point, nearly 200 years following Ponticus, Pope Gregory I, in the year 590, revised Ponticus's list for the church. And in this revision, Pope Gregory combined ascetia with sorrow, calling it sloth. He put vainglory with pride, and he added envy to the list we now know as the seven deadly sins. This morning, we're going to be taking up the deadly sin that Pope Gregory added to his list, envy. If you have your bulletin, you'll see that the passages of Scripture, we'll read these in just a second, each of these deal with envy. So if you have that before you, why don't you follow along as I read these verses from Proverbs. First, Proverbs 3, 31 and 32. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Proverbs 14, 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs 24, 1 and 2. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. Lastly, Proverbs 24, 19 and 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. And envy is an interesting vice. In many ways, it is closely related to pride. Both, ultimately, are competitive. You can often see how this plays out in the world. And consider this ad from Waldorf Astoria from several years ago. Listen to this ad. If you've never been a Waldorf guest, you can unthinkingly believe it to be expensive. But the admiration, if not the envy, of the folks at home is included in the room. Did you hear how envy and pride are wrapped in close to one another? This relationship with pride is the reason why many theologians consider envy to be the second worst sin as well as the second most prevalent. But here's the thing. As I've, I've been thinking about envy and as, even as I consider it today, I think you can make an argument that it is not only the second, but it's actually just as dangerous and deadly as pride, if not more so. Now, here's why. How often in the halls of a church do you hear envy discussed? How often have you heard a preacher preach on envy or, or use it as an application? 
How often are you confessing into your, to your friends or to people like me the envy that dwells in your heart? This tells me that we don't give it much consideration. And if we don't give it much consideration, we're not naming it. And if we're not naming it, we're not confessing it. And it becomes this deadly sin that we don't even acknowledge is there. Can't you see the problem with envy? Can't you see how, how, how it could be even worse than pride? Envy is a problem. We don't talk about it. But today we are going to talk about it. Today we're going to explore it and see what it is that it might not consume us and kill us. That it might not be this silent, deadly killer in our lives. Of course, envy is not exclusive to the early church, as Ponticus and Pope Gregory talked about it. Solomon places a high emphasis on envy in his ethical teaching in the book of Proverbs. Consider Proverbs 3, 31 and 32. Do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. Or Proverbs 24, 1 and 2. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. It is Solomon's longing for his sons to not fall into envy's trap, to stay away from that. And subsequently, it is his call for us that we not fall into its silent, deadly trap. When we consider that these verses on envy are contained in the book of Proverbs and see that his whole goal is is to pursue wisdom for us, we can deduce from this that if we are embraced by envy, we will be fools and be destroyed. But if we put it off, we will be wise and we will live. This morning, I want to consider three lessons from the three Proverbs we'll be looking at, Solomon gives to us that we might indeed put off envy and live. The first lesson that Solomon gives to us on envy is the lesson on the envies, on, on the description of envy. So first, the description of envy. Proverbs 24, 19 and 20 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Now, I want you to know that this is not a definition of envy. It is simply a description of what envy is. Look at the first words he says in this word. Fret not because of evildoers. He follows that with be not envious of the wicked. Here we find a common Hebrew poetic device called parallelism. That's a tough word to say, parallelism. Parallelism. It's using two of the same kind of ideas to expound on what something means. And so when we see this, this fretting and envying, we see the description of envy beginning to form. And here is the description. It is a zealous longing for someone's possessions, whether that be material goods, beauty, friends, opportunities. It is a zealous longing for someone's possessions. Making this even more prominent is the fact that the Hebrew word that Solomon chose for envy is the word kina. Q-I-N-A. That's not the Hebrew, you know, they don't have Q. But it's kina. And this word is often associated with burning. A burning on its inside, someone's insides, that your face would begin to be flush. So you see that this, this word is an emotional word. Now we understand that envy is like jealousy, and it's, it, it, and it's similar to coveting. But when you combine this emotional language and longing with this coveting, It's more than that, that envy is emotional. It's a burning passion for what someone else has. 
You know, throughout history, each of the deadly sins has been portrayed by association with different body parts and colors. And envy, just like pride, is always associated with the eyes. The color that is used for envy is the color green, thus green with envy. Thus the green on the back walls right now. It's very specific. But here's what Christian author Oz Guinness notes about the phrase green with envy. Green with envy is always a picture of eyes, slit eyes that are turned up to whatever is thought to be superior. The green eye of envy is always looking up to someone else and longing for what they have. King Saul had green eyes when the Israelites and David had come home from defeating Goliath and the Philistines. You remember the woman came out from the cities and they were singing and dancing with tambourines and songs of joy and instruments. And the woman sang to, to, the, to, the, to, to the delight of everyone. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And at this, Saul was very angry and it displeased him to hear such a thing. He said to himself, they have ascribed to David tens thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And I love what 1 Samuel 18, 9 says, and it's really key. Saul eyed David from that day on. He eyed him. Saul was envious. He had green eyes slit down looking at him. Thus, the description of envy is longing, a burning passion for someone else's possessions. Let me ask you this. What do you envy? What are you zealous for that you don't have? If we are to be wise, then we have to identify the areas in our life where we look with green eyes. Now, I I want you to know this. Our green eyes tend to look in areas that we are deeply familiar with. Moms, you will envy other mothers. Bankers, you will envy bankers. Lawyers, lawyers. Doctors, doctors. Politicians, politicians. Pastors, other pastors. I mean, one of the the greatest temptations of my life is when I get into the presence of other pastors and everyone starts to compare the notes about, you know, how many people we got in our church. And it becomes this, who's got the biggest, strongest chest? I know the temptation of envy. But when that temptation comes, that's envy. That's me looking with green eyes. And I have to identify these because in identifying that envy, I'm actually beginning the process to defeating that envy. Name that envy and you begin to claim that envy. So where is this for you? Where are you looking with green eyes of envy? Of course, Solomon begins his lesson on envy by giving us a description of it. And indeed, it can be used to reveal areas of life where we are prone to this deadly disease. But he also provides us with a second lesson on envy. In this lesson, the focus is not so much on its description, but rather on envy's destruction. So lesson two, let's look at the destruction of envy. Consider Proverbs 14.30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Can you hear the destruction of these words? Envy destroys you internally. Perhaps another picture to help grasp this lesson of envy's destruction is the skull and bones you might find on a poisonous gas canister. And the the poisonous gas canister, I think, would be labeled carbon 
monoxide. Envy is like this. You can't smell it. But as you get exposed to it over time, it silently destroys you. You can't smell it. You often can't recognize it. It simply destroys you and those around you. Consider how it rots your being from the inside. Consider how envy destroys first your neighbor. If, if the, the love of neighbor is a process of meeting needs, then when envy comes into our life, their needs are the furthest thing from your mind. All you are consumed with is yourself. You're not thinking about them. You're not considering them. You're not even asking yourself, how can I love them, serve them, care for them? How can I be a part of them? You are simply consumed with how can I tear them down? How can I be like them? How can I find that satisfaction? And it destroys you because it destroys your neighbor. Envy does this. It destroys your neighbor. But not only that, it destroys your joy. It destroys your joy. Think about this. How will you appreciate the good that you actually have around you if you're always eyeing someone else's goods? If you're always sorrowful for it? I, I think this is true of all of us. Yes, we might be on different socioeconomic realities, but each and every one of us in this room right now has been provided by God. You're wearing clothes right now. You, you, you probably drove here in a car. You probably live in a house. But if you're always eyeing something else, you can't give thanks for the goods that you have. And it takes away the joy that can actually be yours. One of my favorite things to do is, in, in, when I study history is to consider, you know, what would life be like in 1875 when they didn't have internet? You know, like, ah, oh, when they couldn't stream their favorite sports game. Like, oh, how boring would life have been? Golly, what a, what a depressing life that would be. But the reality is the people in 1875, they learned how to find joy. They had joy in many of the possessions. Possessions don't equal joy, but this is what happens when we fall into envy. It robs us of the joy that is already ours. It destroys our ability to find that joy. But not only that, it destroys your soul. It destroys your neighbor. It destroys your joy, but it destroys your soul. If you are all you think about, you are not of God. And if you are not of God, then there is an eternal destruction for you. Those who envy will end up in hell. And we have to wrestle with this. We have to. So, you know, envy is this silent, deadly killer. It really is. And the, perhaps the most deadly reality of it is it is deadly for our soul. Do you know how King Saul died? He died in a war with the Philistines. Do you know why the Philistines killed him? Because they were stronger than the Israelites in that time. You want to know why? Because he didn't do his job. He didn't fight the Philistines when he was told to fight the Philistines. Do you know what he did instead? The, whole, the book of 1 Samuel describes it. He sought to kill David. He was envious of someone in his own camp. And he sought to kill him. And the Philistines got stronger and bigger. And eventually they killed him. I think we can ultimately say it is envy that killed Saul, though it was the spear of one of his own people. Envy killed him. Envy does that to all of us. 
but it is a silent and deadly killer like carbon monoxide. We've got to see that it is indeed a silent killer. We've got to recognize it and, and walk in fear of it saying, you know what? This is an area of my life I need to address because it's going to destroy me, it's going to destroy my neighbor, and possibly even my soul. So we've seen two of Solomon's lessons. It's the description of envy, the destruction of envy, but now let us turn to Solomon's third lesson, the defeat of envy. Proverbs 23, 17, and 18 says this, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Here we have before us the way to defeat envy. And the way to defeat envy is this, the fear of the Lord. Continuing in it all the days of your life. What is this fear of the Lord? The noted Old Testament scholar Bruce Walkie says that the fear of the Lord consists of a logical reality and a psychological reality. Let me speak to these two different realities that the fear of the Lord gets at. First, logically. Logically speaking, fear of the Lord is recognizing that God is God and you are not. You did not create, nor did I. God did. You are not at the center of the universe, nor am I. God is. Living in the reality that we are not God can be obtained in a number of ways. Historically, though, it's obtained from meditating and memorizing God's law. The Jews would do this when they'd memorize and meditate on statutes like Deuteronomy 16. And they would have their children memorize this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your might. Logically speaking, the fear of the Lord recognizes this truth, that God is God and I am not. And when we do this, envy has very little room. This is because when we envy, we are putting ourselves at the center of the world. We believe and live as if we were God. So whatever comes to me, whatever situation, we think that this is the standard. This is what, how we are called to live. I think this is one of the reasons why Solomon is continually focusing on don't envy the wicked, don't envy the violent. I mean, these are, all of us can look at those phrases that he puts up in front of them and be like, yeah, that's kind of stupid. Why would you want to envy the violent and the wicked? Because it's a profound temptation and that when we envy, we think we become the standard for life. And so violence and wickedness, that becomes the standard. Solomon doesn't want his sons being foolish and pursuing the goods of the evil because that has no recognition of who God is and who we are. When we envy, we think that whatever happens to me in right is right and good. But this is, logically speaking, not true. We are not the center of the world, of the universe. God is. So fearing, fearing the Lord logically recognizes this truth, that we are not God. But the fear of the Lord doesn't just contain a logical reality. It contains a psychological reality. That is, responding to who God is in fear, love, and humility. By fear, I don't mean we are afraid of God, though that is perhaps part of it. But it is being in awe and wonder at who God is, that he is indeed the creator. Whoa, whoa. 
that he is the redeemer of our sin, we are not. That he is the center of all things, that we are not. That to him belongs the glory and honor, and we do not. To defeat envy, we have to indeed fear him and saying, what you say is what goes, not what I say. It's a woe. That fear is a woe. So walking in the fear begins to help us defeat that envy. You know, you and I can help each other do this each and every week when we gather together as a corporate body to consider who God is and what it is he has done. That we sing praises to God and we sit here humbly saying, Whoa, I am not God. He is. Secondly, not just, uh, not just fearing God, but trusting God. Humbly trusting God. Trusting God is recognizing that he is in control and that he will ultimately work all things for good. You know, one of the primary times when envy strikes up in all of our hearts is when we are longing. We're longing for justice, peace, security, comfort, good, you know, good things. But we want the resolution of those difficulties right now. We don't trust that God has a plan in the midst of our difficulties. And so because we don't trust God in the midst of these difficulties, we take matters into my own, our own hands and we seek to control it. Envy at its heart is a failing to trust God. And take matters into your own hands. But my friends, we have a reason to trust our God even in the midst of difficult circumstances. You, you know that the story of our salvation is rooted in this reality. Jesus himself, God himself, took on flesh, lived the life that we could not live, following after God, and this should have given him life. He did not envy. He walked wisely, but it led to death. You want to talk about difficult circumstances. But Jesus himself did not envy in that moment. No, he let God be in control. And then he died. <laughs> what? How is he trusting God in death? It's because God is greater than death. The picture that I want you to see in regards to the defeat of envy is an empty tomb. Because if, if we are really going to see our envy defeated, we have to trust that God is ultimately going to work all things for good. This doesn't explain the difficult circumstance we're in right now. But we know that because God, in the midst of the deepest darkness, the most, the, most of us confusion, that it ultimately led to life. That God is capable of taking that which is dark and bringing light to it. That's an empty tomb. So in the midst of our difficulty, we just say, God, I don't know what you're doing. And I don't know how this is going to work out for good, but I know that you have the ability to work all things for good. And the empty tomb is an example for me. You want to defeat envy, you've got to trust God. You, you, you don't need to have the answers for why you're going through that difficulty. You just need to know that God is, in fact, able to, to overcome your difficulties. So you gotta, you got to fear the Lord. you got to humbly trust him. Lastly, you've got to love the Lord. you got to love the Lord. The way that you crowd out envy is to not 
worship yourself. It is to worship God. It's to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To be deeply enraptured in who he is. And we have every reason to be in love with God. He is infinitely beautiful. And he is infinitely merciful and gracious. We don't get to experience the joy of our salvation if it wasn't for the grace of our God. When we take that, man, we are amazed at him. And so we give thanks to him. We worship him with our hearts of, you know, run amok. Why not? Why? Because he's worthy of it. You crowd out envy in your life. You defeat it by fearing the Lord. And fearing the Lord is loving him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Fear of the Lord contains a logical reality and a psychological reality. And that psychological reality has worked itself out in fearing and humbling and loving the Lord. There's a really interesting relationship between Proverbs 24, 1 and 2, 19 and 20, with Psalm 37. If you have the Bible, you can look there. I'm not going to read it, but I want you to just see this. Now, the beginning of Psalm 37 is identical it is identical to this Proverbs. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of his heart, of your heart. Now, do you know who wrote this? Do you know who wrote this? It was David. David was Solomon's Father, it's an interesting relationship here. Solomon is the one who wrote these Proverbs. Who did he get that wisdom from? He got it from his dad. His dad likely pulled him aside and said, hey, fret not yourself because of evil, evildoers. Don't envy wrongdoers. And Solomon, just like his dad, passed on to him the wisdom from his father, which his father probably got from who? Saul. He passed it on to his sons and subsequently to us. Like running in a relay, we've been placed in our hands the baton of fearing the Lord, of not walking in envy. And the question for us is, will we run in the fear of the Lord? Or will we cast that baton aside, casting the wisdom of David, casting the wisdom of Solomon, casting the wisdom of God aside in envy? Let us not do this. For Solomon tells us that the description of envy is in all of us. And it will destroy us. But, with, but envy ultimately can be destroyed by running and walking in faith in the fear of the Lord. Fearing him, trusting him, loving him. Will you do that today and remove the emphasis of envy and live wisely and live wonderfully? Will you do that? Let me pray. Our gracious Lord, we give thanks to you for this teaching, a teaching that exposes so much of really who we are. We are all prone to envy. We are all prone to thinking that we deserve more, we need more, that we are the center of the world. Lord, help us to fix our eyes, not on the things of this world, but fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, help us 
to acknowledge these realities. Help us as a people, your people, to encourage one another, to remind each other of just how amazing you are, that you are a God who is willing to put on flesh and blood, enter into the darkest of situations, but overcome it through your power. Lord, help us to trust you. Amen.